Let me start off by saying, you know, I'm very honored to have this opportunity to preach the word here today. For those of you who don't know, and you're like, whoa, did Pastor Steve redo his hair and shave the size of his mustache? No. Um, I am Elijah. I'm Pastor Steve's son. Um, some of you are making that connection for the first time right now, and I can see it on some of your faces. But So I've been teaching here at the church for um, about eight years now. I've been teaching our fourth through sixth graders. It's just been a blessing. Before then, you know, I was in Sunday school, and I was in the youth group, and I've been raised in this church my whole life, so to be up here on this stage really is, um, you know, a big, a big moment for me, but also just a blessing, and it's nothing that I ever took lightly, you know, growing up, people would always say, oh, you know, your dad's a pastor, are you going to be the pastor next, and, and actually, I, I, I always would say, you know, well, Lord willing, you know, if that's God's plan, because I know it's not a call to take lightly, I know it's something that um, you have to have a call upon your life, there has to be giftings in those areas, and but I have seen in the last um, few years or so that the Lord has just multiplied the blessings in those classrooms down there. And um, I, don't, I don't take those teachings lightly. You know, I've been teaching. I taught through the entirety of First and Second Samuel. We taught through the entirety of the book of Genesis. And um, I didn't cut any corners. I presented the, the word in its entirety. And those kids soaked it up. And it was just awesome to see as a total blessing. And so I, I think just how... You know, Moses was a shepherd before he led the Israelites, and David was a shepherd before he led the Israelites. You know, God used that time in there maybe even to prepare me for today. Um, now, my dad assured me that teaching adults is a lot easier than teaching kids, so <laughs> I shouldn't have to stop at any point and say, hey, stop wiping your boogers on your neighbor, you know? <laughs> so just... Hopefully that'll, you know, ease things up. No, no raising of the hands. You know, if you've got questions, you can ask later stories. You know, those kids, they'll tell, a, they'll tell their whole life story if they raise their hand and you let them. So, <laughs> um, so I would use this maybe as an opportunity to, to take some jabs at my old man, make fun of him a little bit. But, you know, he comes back next week. And I, and I don't want to get called up on the stage for a wrestling match, you know, because... <laughs> That's, that's not going to be pretty. It's not, it's not going to pan out well for me. You know, he's double my age, but he's got that vigor like he was talking about in, in, uh, in, uh, on Wednesday nights in, um, in the book of Joshua. You know, he's, he's got that vigor even though he's an old man. You know? <laughs> Maybe not so old. There, there's my one jab. You're old, Dad. There you go. <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> all right. So with that being said, um, let's just jump into God's word. So I, uh, I chose today to teach out of Jeremiah chapter 1. Um, you know, when, when, I'm get, when I was given this opportunity and, and my dad came to me and said, hey, is this something you'd be interested in? Um, you know, my mind started to, to just go off in all the different things that I could teach on and all the different topics and all the different passages. But for some reason, I, I kept coming to this passage, and it might not be one that many of you are familiar with. Maybe in the book of Jeremiah you're not too familiar with. But it, it resonated with me for a couple reasons. First off, you know, Jeremiah was a young man when he was called. We're going to see today that the Lord calls him and he goes, God, I can't do it. I'm a youth. I'm, I'm just a kid, right? And, and obviously, <laughs> I, can, I can resonate with that in some ways. Um, but also, he's called to present the Word of God. He's called to present the Word of God to a nation that doesn't want to hear it. And, you know, sadly, it seems like that's kind of the nation that we're in today. They don't want to hear God's truth. They don't want to hear the Word of God. They would, would rather be, you know, have their ears tickled. They'd rather hear, you know, feel-good messages of, of encouragement, which, you know, there's a place for that. But, 
you know, what is that encouragement if we die and, and we're separated from God for eternity? Um, so I, th- I think the Lord has a lot here today. I- I'm really encouraged. I'm really excited to teach it. Um, you're going to just have to bear with me. Um, if at times I maybe, you know, get off track or I, my, my ultimate prayer today is just that the Lord's words would be, would be spoken and not mine. So with that being said, let's just go forth. Let's jump into this. Um, we're just going to go a couple verses at a time. We're going to break down those verses. Um, these first three verses do a great job kind of setting up the setting of the chapter, who's who, what's going on. So um, we'll go ahead and read that together. So it says here, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. So when Israel was first founded, it was, it was obviously founded as a, a theocracy, a nation that was led by God. God was the lawmaker. God had appointed individuals who led the people to God. And ultimately, God was the ruler or the king, right? But there came a day where the Israelites looked around at all the nations around them, and they saw their kings, and the word says that they desired to be like those nations. They no longer desired to be ruled by the Lord. They desired to be ruled by a man. Israel really had rejected God in this way when they wanted to be like the other nations. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 8, you know, they come to Samuel, who at the time was the prophet. He was the person who was acting as that mediator between God and the people. And they told him, you know, we want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. And Samuel was disturbed by this, obviously because he knew what it meant. It knew, he knew that it meant, uh, you know, that these people would be led away by men who did not fear God. And, and he was displeased by this, but the Lord came to him in 1 Samuel 8, chapter 6 and 7. It says, but these things displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, they have rejected me, that I should reign over them. And from that point on, they followed the king. They followed wherever the king led. If the king was good and godly and honored the Lord, the people were good and godly and honored the Lord. If the, if the king despised the Lord and set up Uh, worship sites to Baal and Asherah and these false gods, guess what? The people followed and they worshiped those false gods. God was no longer their king. These men were their king. And it's, it's never a good thing when we place men in the place of God. God is the only person who has that, who can fulfill that place of reverence in our lives, that ultimate authority in our lives, because men come and go, they, they succeed and they fail but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He stays on, He stands on, or sits on the throne upon high. He is unmoving, unlike these men. So, like I said, sometimes these kings were good. Most of the time, though, they they were evil. And every single time, the people would follow after those kings. You know, the the greatest king we could probably think of of, of the nation of Israel was King David, right? King David was a great king, a great man of God, a man after God's own heart, and yet even being the great man that he was, he was still a man. He was still with sin. You know, we think of his sin, his sin with Bathsheba later on in his life um, as he, he looked upon her bathing and 
He had that affair with her, and it resulted in her getting pregnant. He wanted to cover up that sin by having her husband killed, Uriah, one of his mighty men. And this, this sin just, tum- it just uh, snowballed into this huge uh, uh, curse upon the nation because that one sin by one man, because he was the king who was supposed to be leading these people closer to God, it became a, a consequence that ended up fracturing this whole nation. You know, from that, from that one sin, God said that the nation is going to be divided. Um, and, and from there, it was divided into to Judah and Israel in the north. So after the nation split, Judah had a total of 10 kings before they were taken to Babylon. Or sorry, not 10 kings, 20 kings before they were taken to Babylon. Out of those 20 kings, only six did right in the eyes of the Lord. All those other kings did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. You know, Israel had 19 kings before Assyria came in and took them over. Out of their 19 kings, zero did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It's probably why he had to deal with them a little earlier than he he did with Judah. So as we come here to to the book of Jeremiah, Israel has already been taken over by these Assyrians. That was part of God's judgment. And God had warned them plenty, and that judgment had come. The Assyrians had came in and taken over. Later on, the Assyrians were going to be taken over by Babylon. And now God's judgment was coming upon Judah. So Jeremiah is called to the nation of Judah to present this message of, hey, our sins have stacked up. God sees the sin. He's going to judge us, and that judgment is going to come. Thankfully, God's judgment always comes with his faithfulness as well, and he was faithful to return them back to the nation 70 years later. But that was the message of the day. God's judgment is coming. Babylon is coming to take us over, right? Jeremiah, he's a young man. He's called to be a prophet to this nation, and he's called to deliver a very harsh message, a message of judgment, that the judgment of the Lord is at hand. It's obviously a message that nobody wants to hear. You know, you probably came here today, and you're like, oh, man, this guy's just like his dad talking about God's judgment, talking about the judgment upon us. But it's news that has to be shared, because just as Judah's sin against God had resulted in God needing to punish that sin, we too have sinned against God, and God will punish our sins. You know, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us here in this room, every single one listening online, we have all sinned. You know, God's Ten Commandments shows us that we're sinners. We're liars. We're adulterers at heart. We're, you know, even adulterers at heart, we, we hate in our heart. We we uh, strive for things that are not God. We, we prop up idols for ourselves to worship in place of God. You know, all those Ten Commandments are, pla- are put in place to show us that we're sinners, that we need a Savior. And sadly, the wages of our sin is death. Romans 6.23, first half of that verse, it says, but the wages of sin is death. And this is obviously bad news. And this is really is the news that Jeremiah is having to present to the nation. Hey, we are sinners our sin is resulting in our judgment. And you know, there, there are many that when they hear that bad news, their response is to instantly get on the defensive or to say things like, you know, that's the Old Testament God. You know, he's always judging with the fire and the brimstone. You know, we love Jesus because Jesus was just cool and he hung out with sinners and he ate with them and dined with them, right? You know, 
Jesus spoke a lot about hell. He warned about it as a place of eternal flame, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of outer darkness. I've got a couple of verses for you guys in your notes. Matthew 10, 28. Jesus says, And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy the, both soul and body in hell. Matthew twenty five forty one. Again, words of Jesus. It says, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Again, Matthew eight twelve. words of Jesus. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So yes, God's judgment is coming. Death is around the corner. But thankfully, God is long-suffering. God is merciful. You know, in every instance of God's judgment in the Old Testament, you know, that's... The, that's People like to isolate the Old Testament. They like to look at these stories and say, oh, it's so hateful of God to do these things. You know, one of the examples is the flood. You know, oh, God destroyed everyone on the earth in that flood. You know, and, and I've, I've heard this my whole life as people bring excuses to disregard God and to disregard his word. When we actually open up God's word and we read that account for ourselves, you cannot deny the long-suffering and the mercy of God, you know those people with the flood. You know how? Do you know how many years that Noah was building that ark? It didn't just appear overnight. It didn't just grow out of the ground for a hundred and twenty years. Day after day, he nailed and hammered and sawed and built that ark. Day after day, it was literally a daily reminder to these people that God's judgment is coming. Turn. From your wicked ways, repent and trust in the Lord. Day after day for 120 years, God gave them that picture, that message that, hey, judgment is coming. Turn from your ways and be saved. And yet day after day, these people disregarded God's word. They disregarded that picture of the ark of the salvation that God offered, and they chose to continue in their wickedness. God is long-suffering. He is merciful. Yes, judgment is coming, but now is the time to turn from that judgment and to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, we think of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's, that's the go-to, the fire and brimstone. You know, everybody talks about that. Oh, it's such a hateful God with that fire and brimstone coming down. Again, open up God's word. Read it for yourself. You know, like I said, I went through the entirety of the book of Genesis with, with the fourth through sixth graders, and we, we covered all this. You know, we talked about this, about how God judged these people and you know what's funny is chapters earlier, the nations of Sodom and Gomorrah are actually taken into captivity. They're taken as slaves by these kings that come and take them over. And what happens is Abraham, when he hears about this, because his nephew Lot is with them, he gets his servants together and they go that night and they overcome those evil kings and they actually liberate these people who were in bondage. And if that's not a picture of what... God's love does for us. You're in bondage and a man of God shows up to deliver you. And then after that, he goes and tithes to Melchizedek, who was the priest of God, and, and uh, participates in the offering of the bread and the wine, you know, years and thousands of years before Jesus ever came. If that's not a picture of what God can do for you, then I don't know what is. You know, you're in bondage and a man of God comes and liberates you, and yet you don't want to humble yourself and serve that God, you'd rather continue to go, to go back to your sin, guess what? God's judgment is coming, 
It came upon Sodom and Gomorrah, even though he gave them that picture uh, of God's love and God's kindness and God's power, they chose to disregard that, right? Think of even Nineveh. Nineveh is a great example because Nineveh was a lot like Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a nation that was steeped in sin, right? Steeped in sin. It was so bad that when Jonah got the call to go and to deliver the message there, he said, I don't want to (laughs) go. I want to go the opposite direction. You know, I'm going to run and flee from that place because those people are so wicked. Well, God obviously had other plans. He, He used that fish to spit him out right onto the shores of Nineveh. He went there, he presented the gospel, and then he left and got up on a hill and sat up there and waited for the fireworks. Oh man, I can't wait for that fire and brimstone. I get to see it firsthand now. But nothing happened. Fire and brimstone never came down. He goes in to investigate, and it turns out that these people had received that call. They had received, received the message of God's mercy. They had turned from their wickedness, from their sin, and they had turned to the Lord. And so when you hear that excuse of, oh, this God of the Old Testament is so wicked and so vile and he's so judgmental, we cannot disregard the long-suffering and the mercy of the Lord. And that long-suffering, that mercy is on us today because, guys, the truth is we are no different than those people during the flood. We are no different than those people in Sodom and Gomorrah. We're no different than those people in Nineveh. We are all sinners. Our sin, with our sin comes penalty. God is holy. He cannot commune with that sin. God is also just. He must judge that sin. God offers a free gift to be saved from the punishment of our sins. Romans 6.23, I read the first half of the verse, but I want to read the totality of it right now. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The truth is, our sins stack up to the height of heaven. God sees those sins. He must judge them. But thankfully, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die on that cross for our sins, to take the punishment and the, and the torment and the, the wrath of God upon him and to die with that sin. And you know what happened three days later? He didn't just stay dead. Three days later, he resurrected from the dead. He defeated sin, death, and Satan and says, whoever calls upon my name, whoever repents of their sins and place their faith in me will be saved. He did not stay in that grave. He's not like Buddha who's still in the grave. He's not like Muhammad who's still in the grave. He's not like these great men of renown who are in the grave. He has resurrected. A picture that I I present to the kids oftentimes is if you're swimming and you have a lifeguard who can't swim, do you trust that lifeguard to save your life? No, I don't trust that lifeguard to save my life. Same way that I do not trust a savior who has not defeated death to save me from death. But Jesus has defeated death. He proved that day that he, can, that he can defeat death, that he offers victory over death. And so I can trust that I too will have victory over death in him. It's, it's, it's only afforded through Jesus Christ. Nobody else has defeated death. Nobody else has ever come close. Only he is able to do so, and he did so on that third day. Now, God is long-suffering, like I said. He's long-suffering. He's given us time. He's given us this time here on this earth. Many years, right? 25 years. You know, my dad, 52 or 53, I don't even remember. (laughs) He's up there. No, I'm kidding. Many of us, many years. Each one of those days, 365 days a year, he has given us long-suffering towards us so that we would respond to the call. But we, we cannot let that delay our response. James 4. 
27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what that day may hold. Technical difficulties. (laughs) (laughs) Fix it, Brady. talking now. No. <laughs> Proverbs 27.1 says, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what that day may bring forth. You know, getting out of this parking lot, it's a little sketchy. Yeah. Can't see each way, you know. You might be exiting today and it might be your last. <laughs> maybe, maybe the microphone should have gone out. <laughs> I say that, you know, and we laugh, but it's the reality of it. We're not afforded one more moment on this earth. God is long-suffering towards us. He's merciful towards us. I'm grateful and thankful for that, but I also don't want to take it for granted. Now, for those of you who are saved, make sure you recognize that that's also a call for you to be about his business every day. We're going to see here that as Jeremiah is called, he's reminded and told by the Lord that you were sanctified for this. You were set apart for this. Let's, Let's jump into it. Actually, for, uh, Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So that first statement, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I mean, that is such a powerful statement right there in itself. You know, this, this verse really talks about life, talks about the origins of life, how it was the Lord who formed him in the womb. And it's also about the calling upon our lives. You know, that, that statement, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, is, is so viciously under, a, uh, under attack in our nation today. Um, um, sadly, many people, they don't want to acknowledge that they were formed by the Lord in the womb of their mothers. But it's a message that needs to be presented, that, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, Psalms 139 13 through 16, as, as David contemplates these things, he speaks many things. He talks about how the Lord formed his inward parts, how he covered him in his mother's womb. You can, you can read that full, uh, that full passage later on, but like I said, it's a message that's completely under attack here today. You know, this verse plainly proclaims that life begins at conception. And I, would even, I would even stand to say that it begins before then. That God has a predestined plan for every life here on this earth and every life that will come. And um, just as he has that plan for that life to come, that life is sacred. It's a life that has been given by God. It's not a life that man can choose when to take and when to terminate. And, and like, you know, we, we all live in the U.S. today. We know that this is something that's under attack today. And, and obviously, every time that I... That, Abortion and, and those subjects are talked about from this pulpit, I'm always going to make it a point to talk about forgiveness because there is no sin that God cannot forgive us of. There is no sin that God cannot um, wash us cl- clean of. The only sin that, it, that cannot be is, is just the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, which is complete rejection of God. Other than that, you know, the Lord stands here ready to wash you and to cleanse you and to um, heal you of that. 
and to, to take you to a place where one day you'll meet that child once again. So God knows you. Um, he knows all of your sin, and he still loves you, right? So this, this idea of him knowing me before I was formed in the womb and knowing each and every one of us before we were formed in the womb, it's, it's a, uh, a statement that can encourage us and make us think, wow, God is so great. He knows the numbers of hair on my head. He knows um, just my likes, my dislikes. He, he, he knit me and fashioned me in a way that's so unique. But it's also a statement that should give us some fear of the Lord, because with every good thought he knows that we have, <laughs> he knows every wicked and vile and sinful thought that we have. And it's really a statement that should just humble us to know that God knows every single um, you know, sin that we've committed, and yet he still loves us. He still came to die for us. He didn't look upon us with disgust. He looked upon us with love and with mercy. It's, it's an awesome thought that... that we need to cherish, we need to think about more often. You know, sometimes I, I feel like we get caught up in, in thinking about what everybody else thinks of us. We need to refocus and think about what God thinks of us. So he goes on to say, before you were born, I sanctified you. So now this word sanctified, it means set apart for a holy purpose. And we as Christians have been set apart for a holy calling. We were justified in Christ. We are now sanctified as holy children of God. And, and that means God has a calling upon your life. He has a calling upon my life. And part of that calling is a call not to squander it, not to take it for granted. You know, just as we said, our, our life is like a vapor. It's here, then it's gone. For those of us who trusted in the Lord, we need to take up that responsibility every single day. You know, this ties into a lot of what we've been learning about on Sunday mornings. Um, 1 Peter 13 through 16, it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully in the grace that is to be brought to you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So not only did God knit you in your mother's womb, he has a plan and a purpose for you, and that plan and purpose goes beyond salvation. Yes, it is to be saved. That is his ultimate goal for us. But on top of that, we are called to be sanctified. We're called to fulfill this calling upon our lives. Jeremiah's calling was to be a prophet to the nation. Guess what? Our calling is to be prophets and apostles, little p, little a, <laughs> to this nation around us. We need to be people who are going forth, sent out by God, to deliver the message of Jesus Christ, to deliver the gospel to those around us. So Jeremiah's response here in, uh, in verses 6 through 8 says, Well, then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whether I commend you, command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. So the Lord comes to Jeremiah. He says, I want you to go. I want you to, to deliver this word. And Jeremiah's response is, I can't. I'm too young. I'm not going to be taken seriously. I'm not going to be, you know, seen as a prophet of God because I'm just a kid. Now, you know, according to the traditions of the day and according to the language, Jeremiah could have been anywhere from maybe 17 to 25, 26 years old. Um, but 
this was a calling that God had upon his life, and, and he came with an excuse. You know, Jer- or, uh, Jeremiah is not alone in this. There's many people throughout the word of God that come with excuses, right? I think of Moses, who when God called him to go to Egypt and go to Pharaoh and confront Pharaoh and lead his people to liberty in the, in the, in the promised land, he says, I can't. I stutter. I, I can't talk. I have it here in your guys' notes in Exodus 4. Um, he says, I'm not eloquent. Neither before, neither before nor I have spoken to your servant, but I am slow to speech uh, and slow of tongue. Relatable, man, relatable. Um, you know, the awesome thing about God's word, well, one of the awesome things about God's word is that they're real people. You know, if this was just some fairy tale and they were called by God to go, you know, it'd just be like, oh, I'm a, I'm a perfect, holy Christian. I'm going to, oh, yes, God, I hear your word. I'm just going to go do it. No questions asked. I'm a robot that just fulfills your plan. But that's not the case. These are real people with real reactions. You know, Jeremiah hears this word, and there's some nervousness, and there's some fear. You know, Moses hears this, and there's some nervousness, and there's some fear. And there's some excuse that he comes up with. I'm, I'm too young. I'm, I'm not a good speaker. And, guys, we... You know, let's not kid ourselves. We all have excuses, especially when it comes to presenting the word of God. We need to lay those excuses aside. We need to remember instead that the God of the universe stands by our side to deliver us from all fear and opposition. You know, there's the excuse, I'm not eloquent. There's the excuse, I'm going to be excommunicated from this group. There's the excuse, I'm going to be looked down upon. The excuse of, I'm going to be seen as a fool I can't present that in my workplace because then everybody's going to have their eyes on me at all time. Or there's even the excuse of, hey, if I, if I say I'm a Christian or I speak up for God's word, then everybody's going to question me and I'm going to have to give an answer for all the questions that I don't even have an answer for. You know, people are going to hate me. They're going to call me a bigot. That's a real popular one these days. We as Christians have to come to a place where we're more concerned with offending God than offending man. We have to be more concerned with trusting the promises of God rather than trusting or believing the threats of man. You know, I think about in my own life when I've had excuses, and I was very privileged um, and and very blessed to be raised in a Christian home, obviously, in a a God-fearing church. Um, On top of that, in a Christian school. You know, kindergarten through 12th grade, I went to North County Christian School right down the road. And it was a blessing. It was an awesome, awesome experience. I got to have chapel. We got to have Bible class. You know, I learned a lot in, in, uh, in that time. But there came a day where I had to leave Christian school and go to secular school, right? Cuesta, Cuesta College, right? It's, it's where everybody should go, you know. For first two years free, you can't beat that. You know, it's a lot better than paying $10,000 to some four-year university, but anyway, uh, for your general ed, but anyway, so quest to day one, and, and, and I was bold in my faith, I knew what I believed, and, and, you know, maybe I had even played it out in my mind that, oh, you know, the teacher's going to say this, and I'm going to say, oh, not so fast, you know, this is what the Word of God really says, but I walk into my first class, my first class is History 101, you know, it's a history of ancient, ancient civilizations, I walk into that class, about 40 people or so, and I find my seat, and I sit down, I'm looking around at the people around me, you know, a couple cool guys, a couple cute girls, you know, I, I hadn't met my wife at the time, but, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, oh, man, this is cool, you know, this is college, this, these are my peers, I want to be respected, I want to be liked by them, and my teacher came up to the front of the class, 
Let's give a brief introduction. And then right off the bat, just started digging into God's word, not in the good way, <laughs> digging at it, picking at it, saying how God's word is not a trusted, reliable source, how God's word has all these fallacies in it, how God's word cannot be trusted, how it shows favoritism to the Israelite people, so we don't use it as a historical document, and all this and going on and on. And in my brain, I knew that's not true. Arche- you know, archaeology is literally uses archaeologists use the Bible to find these hidden things and these, excuse me, these um, to uncover these ancient civilizations. You know, I know that the Bible is without error. I know that all these errors that she's bringing up are simply explained away just by reading in context. I know that the Word of God does not favor the Israelite people because look at today's passage. They are sinners just like everybody else. They're punished when God needs to punish them. They're rewarded when God needs to reward them. I knew all these things. But again, I looked around at my peers, and I didn't open my mouth. And I sat there, and I just didn't say anything. And I remember leaving that class and probably feeling more guilty than I've ever felt in my entire life. Because the truth is, I had been raised up for that moment. I had all these great resources of a church and a godly family and a godly upbringing in in school even. You know, I was ready to present the word, and yet I let the excuse of wanting to be loved by my classmates, wanting to be seen as maybe a funny, cool guy, wanting to, you know, be respected by my teacher. And I put that over wanting to be respected by the Lord and wanting to be you know, a a godly example of the Lord. And I remember I left that class and I went straight to my car and I literally, I I cried. I I literally bawled. I I never felt so much immense guilt in my life, but I knew that it was the Holy Spirit at work. And, you know, that night I went home, I talked to my dad about it. You know, he prayed with me and I'm grateful that I have a mom and dad who will pray for me in, in times like that. And I prayed, and I went back that next day, and I just prayed, you know, Lord, just just give me a boldness. You know, give me a boldness just to speak. Help me to just lay aside those excuses and to just just speak. Because, you know, yeah, maybe I thought that I was afraid that people would call me hateful or foolish or whatever it is. But I just said, you know what, I need to lay those things aside. And, And thankfully, I walked in that class the next day, and like many university teachers like to do, they started repeating themselves, going over what we went through the first day. And I was able to speak out, and I was able to chime in. And I did it respectfully. I raised my hand, and I would give a rebuttal for some of the things that the teacher was saying. And guess what? It was met with actually respect, that the teacher saw that I was engaging with the subject, that I was engaging with what was being said. Every single one of those charges that she brought against the Word of God that I brought a rebuttal for instantly backed down from. You know, I can't say that I'm friends with any of those kids in that class to this day. But I know that the Lord went before me. I laid aside those excuses. I don't know if it resulted in any of those kids getting saved. I don't know if it resulted in that teacher getting saved. I know that the teacher and I had a great mutual respect even by the end of the semester because she saw that I really had a hunger to learn. But I also wasn't just going to, you know, be this, you know, plant that just absorbs this knowledge. You know, I was going to challenge everything that was presented to me. But... The Lord really helped me. He gave me a boldness. And I I know that the ultimate result of that was it showed me 
I need to lay aside these excuses. I need to lay aside these things that maybe bring fear into my heart. And I need to pick up the boldness of the word. I need to pick up the, tr- the, the truth that I've trusted in my whole life that has never steered me wrong up until now. And I need to walk in that boldness. I can't shy away when that opportunity comes. And, you know, that's not to say that I would never shy away ever again, but it is to say that I'm going to remember that moment. It's going to go with me. And I'm sure there's been moments like that in our lives where we have taken that step of faith. And guess what? The Lord has seen us through. And that's what we need to remember and trust in when those times come. You know, I think of Peter and John when they're told to stop preaching the word of God, to stop teaching. I have it for you in your notes in Acts 4.19. And they said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you judge. And that's really the, the bottom line. Is it more important for me to heed the words of this wicked world or to heed the word of God? Is it more important for me to fear God who can destroy body and soul? Or is it more to fear man who can just destroy my body? So moving on here to Jeremiah 1, 9 through 15, it says, But the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See that I have this day set you over the nations, over kingdoms, to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build up, and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond tree. But the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. And the word of the Lord came to me again a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot. It's facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, Out of the north calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdom of the north, says the Lord. They shall come, each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against his walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. So this was obviously the foretelling of Babylon coming from the north to take over Judah. I want to focus specifically on God's plan here to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, and to build and to plant. You know, God is, is doing a work in the life of these Israelites. He's doing the work in the life of these people of Judah. And sometimes that with that work, there comes pain, right? You know, I think of of doing any sort of yard work or any sort of manual labor, it's painful to do those things. You know, you got to get the shovel out. You got to get the rake out. You got to you got to get all that trash and bundle it up and throw it away. But you look back and you see the great results of a of a new project or of a, a nicely groomed lawn, right? And and when we're you know working in maybe planting vegetables or whatever, you cannot let those weeds and those things and those thistles grow up with the plants. It's going to choke them out. They're not going to survive, right? Sometimes God has to root out sin. He has to destroy strongholds in order to build and to plant. Notice he says to root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down. There are things that we allow in our lives to have a foothold, whether it's sin, whether it's just entertainment or things of this world, whatever it is. Again, this speaks a lot to what we've been learning about on Sunday morning. You know, we don't preach legalism here, but we do preach holiness. You know, there are things that don't benefit us. Um... You know, they're not necessarily bad for us, but they're not benefiting us in any way. And yet sometimes those things in our life, they take the place of other things that are necessary in our lives. You know, obviously, well, uh, Pastor Steve last week, he made that joke about, you know, young men should not be playing video games for five hours a day. And, you know, I got to 
good elbow in the side from my wife when, when he said that. You know, it's something I enjoy doing. It's something I enjoy participating in. But, you know, the truth is that, yeah, it's not something necessarily bad. It's not benefiting me. But it is something that's taking the place of being in God's word. It's taking up that time. You know, you think of a, a garden laid out. If you have this big, you know, structure in the middle of that garden, nothing can be grown there. Nothing can be planted there. You've got to take that structure out in order for things to be planted. In the same way with our lives, you know, there are things that are not necessarily bad, but they're not benefiting us. And on top of that, they're maybe taking the place of God planting something even deeper in our lives. Maybe an opportunity to go and to spend time with others, fellowshipping, maybe time to be in his word. You know, I know personally there are days where I can spend hours just entertaining myself, whether it's on my phone, video games, TV, whatever it is. And, and I'm not using any of that time to be in his word. And it's a correction on my life. It's a correction on each of our lives. You know, and sometimes it is painful. Sometimes those things we really enjoy and we really, um, you know, love doing them. But at the end of the day, we've got to ask ourselves, well, what do, what do we care about more? Do we care more about the things of this world or do we care about honoring God? And, and if, if the answer is I care more about entertaining myself, then we've got to check that, you know. Uh, thankfully, though, every time God tears down in our lives and, and there's times where he's rooting out sin and it's difficult and those trials come upon our lives, um, thankfully, he's always faithful to, to replant and to rebuild and to come in and to build something that is glorifying to him. Hebrews 12:6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So maybe you today are in a season where God is rooting out sin, where he's bringing correction. I know personally when, when, my, when Pastor Steve came to me and said, hey, I want you to teach on this Sunday. For me personally, it was, you know, it was months ago, but I knew from that day forward that I need, there were things I needed to root out, things that were not necessarily bad, but things that had maybe come in and taken <laughs> place in my life that that didn't need to have that place and there were some sins that I needed to root out you know I work in a place where there's a lot of language that's thrown around a lot of curse words I know it's probably true for all of us when we're out in the world and amongst non-believers and it's really easy to adopt those words into our own vernacular to start using them in our own vocabulary and that was something I knew right then and there I had to I had to correct and I know partly it was because I wanted to, to be prepared to come here and to teach you guys. You know, I think just as like the, pre, the high priests back in the day when they needed to offer a sacrifice before going into the Holy of Holies, I don't take this lightly. I want to be up here in a place where I can, I can truly know that I'm serving the Lord and there's nothing in my life that's going to be holding me back from that. But it was a, a further call just on my life going forward, you know, to, to be strict with that because the truth is, is, you know, we think of it as just one or two little words that sneak in and we speak, but it really paints a picture of who we are. You know, our words really reveal our heart. It reveals who we are as a people. And if those words coming out are not edifying to God, it instantly paints a picture in the, in the eyes of, or in the ears of those who hear it of the kind of people we are. And I knew for me personally that was something I needed to bring to a stop then. And, and you know, there's still times where I slip up and I make mistakes. God is merciful to me, but it's even greater a call for me just to be aware of that and to be extra aware of those words that are coming out of my mouth. 
you know. And so maybe you're here today in a season where there's sin that's being rooted out, or even just, like I said, entertainment that's being rooted out. Or maybe there's sin that needs to be rooted out, and you need to be real with God. You know, I, I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, I feel like the Lord has given me <laughs> maybe a little too much self-awareness to really look on my at myself and, and and to think you know am i doing the thing that i that i hate am i participating in that sin that i look at in disgust you know there there's times where we just need to be real with god we need to examine our own lives we need to take a look at ourselves in our prayer closets whatever it is we need to take a look at ourselves and say okay am i participating in the sin is there something in my life that i need to root out is there something that today i need to lay before the lord and it doesn't just happen in one day. It's not like, okay, God, I don't want to have a desire to be on, on Instagram for hours anymore. You know, it doesn't just happen over, overnight, but it is something where if we set those boundaries and we say, you know what, I am going to fast from this thing. I'm going to pick up God's word. I'm going to read it instead. You know, we, we've got to be real with God in those, in those areas. We have to really examine our lives and ask ourselves, are there things that God wants to root out today? And, and thankfully, as this word says, not only is he going to root those things out, but he's going to plant something better. God has something better in store when it comes to those things. So Jeremiah 1.16, he goes on to say, he says, I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness. Let me check what time is it. 14. Okay, I'm good. Sorry. Um, I just had that intrusive thought. <laughs> But I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness, because they have forsaken me, they have burned incense to other gods, and they have worshipped the work of their own hands. So specifically we see here that Judah, it really reflects our world today. You know, a lot of the times when we read these scriptures, we don't fully comprehend the kind of sin that Judah and Israel was participating when they followed after those gods of Baal and those gods of Ashereth and, and these, these false gods. You know, these gods, as we, as we open God's word and we, we learn about these false gods, their worship is not just, oh, I'm going to go out to this wooded glen and I'm going I'm to pray to the trees. You know, it's, not, it's nothing like that. It, it's things like self-mutilation, things like human sacrifice, things like child sacrifice that are participated in by the people in that day. This was not just some simple, oh, I'm not going to trust in that God. I'm just, I'm just going to bow down to this statue that I built you know, every day. It wasn't just that. There was so much that went on with the worship of those gods that, that you know, just through reading the scripture, we don't necessarily see firsthand. But as we read the totality of scripture, we see. And, and sadly, you know, these gods have crept into the church today. They've crept into this nation today. They're under new names and new management, you know, but the, their message remains the same. You know, these, these lies of, you know, what they would do is they would take their children up on high mountains and they would sacrifice those children in order to better their lives. That was, pra that was common practice in the worship of Baal. And, um, you know, that's, that's, guess what? That message that we, you know, oh, wow, I can't believe they would do that. The message today is, if you're pregnant and that kid's going to ruin your life, sacrifice it and it will make your life better. That's really the message of the day. So these, these idols, these, these gods that they have burned incense to, these gods that they have worshipped, they're no different than the gods that this world worships today. 
you know, nothing really is new under the sun. It just takes a new name, but the, the message behind it is the same. And it is foolishness. I mean, these people choose to worship these, these you know, rocks and these pieces of wood that they have carved instead of the God of the Bible who has done so much great things for them. You know, it's funny, and I, and I love God's humor. I love when he reveals some of his humor to us. But in, later on in Jeremiah 2, 27, he says that the people, they say to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone, you give birth to me. For they have turned their back to me and not their face, but in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. And that was, that's really the truth. They'd rather turn to these rocks, to these trees, and say, you're my dad, you're, you're my mom, you're the one who birthed me, you're the one who created me. And yet they know when they really need God, when things are really bad, when they really need to cry out, they instantly turn back and call out to God. Because the truth is, is that those stones and, the, and that wood has no power, but the creator has power. It's all things that are going on today. These foolish things that people chase after, that they make the goal of their life, you know, things like likes and followers and subscribers and all the social media, things like money and, and fame and fortune and influence and all these things that people spend their whole lives striving for. But at the end, it's nothing, right? When you die, it doesn't go with you. And, and guess what? It gets passed on to the next person and somebody else takes that fame and somebody else takes that fortune and it's just an ongoing cycle of people striving their whole lives to attain something they're never going to attain and then dying never having attained it. Goes on to say here in verse 17 through 19, it says, Therefore, prepare yourself and arise. Speak to all them who I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against all the people in the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. So that word right there in the beginning, therefore prepare yourself and arise, it's the same word that we were learning about in First Peter of to gird up your loins, you know, to take in that day, they would have robes, right? And they'd take those robes and pull them up and tuck them into their belt so that they could go into battle. We need to be prepared to fight against the opposition in our day-to-day. You know, he talks about here against the kings, against the princes, against the priests. You know, we might not necessarily have kings and princes and priests that, that pr- prop themselves up against God, although we have a president that does. But <laughs> there are things to stand up against, though. We have ideas, we have ideologies, we have false doctrines. They're the giants in the land today. They're the things that people sell their soul to. I'm going to cling to this idea. I'm going to cling to this ideology of of evolution and real science. I'm going to cling to this ideology of feminism. I'm going to cling to this ideology of socialism. I'm going to cling to this ideology of pro-choice abortion, to this ideology of the LGBTQ community to this ideology of uh, deconstructionism, of taking my faith and breaking it down to the bare basics, or even to the ideology of atheism, of saying, I'm going to deny that there even is a God, and I'm going to do what I want. These are all lies that prop themselves up against the knowledge of God. They're all lies that come directly against the knowledge of God. Just like these gods back in the days of Judah, these are the gods of the day. These are the gods that people worship, that they give their lives to. 
But we are called to be a pillar. We're called to be a wall. What does a wall do? It holds back. What does a pillar do? It holds up. Our job as the church, just as Jeremiah's job was here as a representative of Christ, we as the church, we're representatives of Christ. Our job is to uphold the society, to hold back these ideas from coming in and infecting this nation that we live in. You know, if we do love this nation, if we do care for the people in it, then we're going to do everything we can to hold back these ideologies and these ideas and these just lies and false doctrines from coming in and creeping in through us. And sadly, many of it, it does come through the church. You know, we, like a pillar, need to uphold. We're upholding society. The second we start to crumble, the second Judah started to crumble and started to go after those gods, it all just fell apart. The second we as the church start to crumble, it's going to lead to not only our destruction, it's going to lead to the destruction of this society, of this nation, right? All society is going to follow when we do. You know, I think about specifically the LGBTQ movement. You know, back in the day it was, you know, um, it's a couple guys and they're off living and they're in their house and whatever. And what they do behind closed doors, I don't care about. And that was a lot of people's position. That was a position that started to creep into the church. Nowadays, it's even, oh, you know, they're, they're married, they love each other, but they're not participating in it, so, so it's fine. We're just going to say it's A-OK. Guys, this sin, not only has it come in, it's formed a huge crack that has slowly and slowly been eating away at our society. And it's gotten to the point where now there's a huge push for pedophilia, for, for the attack on our children. I mean, and I'm not going to say it lightly, and you might think that the words I'm saying are hateful right now, but I'm going to stand firm in it. I'm not going to cower in it. You know, the second we start to bend knee to these things, it's just going to come in and it's going to take over. You know, if we care about our children, if we care about our loved ones that are a part of this community, we need to stand firm in the truth of God's word. Christians who stand in God's word, guess what? They also stand as a beacon of hope for those who are separate, who are steeped in sin right on top of being a, a, a for, on top of being a bronze wall or a, sorry what does it say on top of being a, a pillar and a wall we're also called to be a fortified city what does a for, what is a fortified city it's a place of refuge it's a place of of refuge for those who are in need it's a place uh, of of safety for those who call upon the name of the lord and that's really what it is. You know, a fortified city, it's a beacon of hope for those who will truly repent and call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, if you have loved ones who are steeped in sin, whether it is a participating in the LGBT community or whether it is, um, you know, in that, in that lifestyle or whether it is somebody who's just steeped in these ideologies of like feminism and pro-choice and abortion or whatever it is and all these things that steep that – that, that parade themselves against God, we cannot cower in the face of those things. We have to stand firm in what we believe. We have to stand firm in what the Word of God says. Because I'll tell you what, sin is only pleasurable for a season. And there will come a point where that sin has not only destroyed their soul, it's destroyed their mind, it's destroyed their body, and they'll come to a point where they need Salvation. They need to be saved. They need to be freed from that sin. And if we cower back and say, oh, no, we accept you, guess what? They're not going to come to us. They're going to, sadly, they're going to get lost in that. I mean, there's a reason that those communities see the highest level of suicide 
than any other community. It's not because they're not accepted, because trust me, this nation and this society loves to accept them. They love to parade them and prop them up. It's because those practices destroy the body and destroy the mind and destroy the soul, and at the end of it, it's death. If we cower and say, no, I'm accepting, then guess what? That's a death sentence for that person. If we stand firm in what the word of God says, if we refuse to waver like this world wavers, if we refuse to turn our back on those individuals like those communities will eventually turn their back on them, then we stand as a fortified city to be a place of refuge for them. And that doesn't mean come in and practice your sin with us. It means, hey, that sin has destroyed you, but guess what? There's a God who can redeem you. There's a God who can restore you, and he wants to restore you today. And so we as the church, we as Christians, we cannot cower in these things because the second you start to cower, the second a crack starts to form, it's going to decay, it's going to eat away until there's just nothing left. We have to stand firm. Affirmation leads to death. Salvation leads to eternal life with Christ Jesus. All right, let's stand and pray. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Dear Lord, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much, God, even just for this word this morning. And I just come before you humbly, just grateful even for this opportunity. And I thank you, Lord, that maybe you stopped me when I needed to be stopped and you encouraged me when I needed to press on, God. And I just thank you for this word that you presented today. And I really, I truly do present it in an attitude of love, wanting to see the lost get saved, God. I pray that that would be evident and that would go forth, especially in this gospel message, Lord, that we are all sinners. We were all in that place of sin, steeped in sin. And we saw that light, that fortified city, whether it was a loved one or or somebody from church or whatever it is that led us to Christ. We need to be that to others, God. We need to be that to those around us. We need to be that fortified city, that, that place of hope where they can come and seek refuge and repentance in Jesus Christ. God, help us to do that. Please bless us the rest of this evening, or the rest of this morning, God, and even into the evening. Just thank you for this time and this message that you've even given me, God. And we just pray that we could just lift our voices to you and worship you, Lord God.
Well, thank you for bearing with me. Um, everybody be careful as you leave the parking lot. You know, look both ways. Don't make me regret saying that. Well, um, thank you. You guys were bold coming to first service. Hopefully, hopefully I'll be a little more loose to second service. But um, thank you guys. God bless you. I hope you have a great rest of your day.